0: A very special bonus episode of Locked On Rockets as we are going to sit down with Chris Mannix and talk all things John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., and Houston Rockets coming up right here at Locked On Rockets.
1: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. With the
1: second pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Houston Rockets select Jalen Green.
0: T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep getting better every day. I'm going to keep perfecting my craft. And every time I step on that floor,
1: I'm coming. Six, five, four, three, two, one.
0: What's up, and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, a bonus episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and also host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, as well as the show at Locked on Rockets. And hey, we sincerely thank you for making Locked on Rockets your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Now, Chris, first off, how are you doing today, man? I'm
1: good, I'm out here in uh, Los Angeles, uh, escaped uh, the snowstorm in the Northeast, so I'm I'm off to a good start at least this weekend.
0: All right, well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, hopefully the new year's going well for you, and uh, it's certainly taken a turn for the better for the Houston Rockets, uh, given the events that started their new year. And we're gonna get into some of that in just a moment, but I gotta start off from you know from the jump, Chris, just be honest with me, level with me. How many Rockets games have you actually watched like this season?
1: Uh, so I watched probably four or five during the the run early when I was writing some stuff about John Wall. I watched a couple of games during their winning streak in late November and early December and uh, probably towards the end of the year too. So less than 10, I would say, but somewhere between six and eight, I'm going to guess.
0: Okay. All right. And in in those games, you know, kind of earlier on, you already, you just mentioned it, talking about the John Wall stuff. Where did that kind of, where did the John Wall crusade kind of come from? Because that's the first point that I want to talk about with you is, you know, you seem to think that the Rockets should, you know, free him, play him, you know, do something in that front. So, so where's that coming from?
1: Well, the John Wall stuff, um, I mean, to me not playing John Wall is a form of tanking and, I have as much problem with the NBA kind of allowing the Rockets to do that as the Rockets actually doing. And now, I do understand theoretically the logic behind it. You know, John wall is has been a high usage rate player. And if you're developing Kevin Porter Jr, Jalen Green, some of the young guys on that team, you want to remove that from the equation. I, I don't know if I buy that necessarily. I don't think, Returning John Wall and playing him in somewhat of a reduced role would somehow hinder the progress of a Kevin Porter Jr. at that time, or somehow not give the Rockets organization enough evidence or enough body of work to figure out what they have in Kevin Porter Jr. before they have to decide on an extension. I mean, quite frankly, how it looked to me and how it continues, frankly, to look to me is that Houston has removed a talented player from the mix in order to win less games. And look, that's been a strategy that's been employed many times in in the NBA history, most recently with Philadelphia, which took tanking to an art form um, in recent years. But I'm, I'm never a proponent of tanking. If you have a player that is under contract for two years, makes, I mean, the money's really irrelevant, but does make 40 something million dollars per year, and he's not doing anything. He's healthy. He's active. And as we've known, you no, know, it, it's not. Didn't surprise me at all. Shortly after I wrote that story, we started rumblings of John Wall wanting to play. Um, this guy wants to get back and get back in the mix, and the Rockets should be putting him back in the mix.
0: So, on, on that front, with the, with the John Wall stuff, in your article specifically, you quoted and said, you know, the idea that Wall would somehow stunt the progress of Porter and Green is ludicrous, and. So, kind of going off of that that notion there, with what you just said, it would it definitely would have to necessitate him coming back in a more reduced role. And so, I think the issue there is that's not who John Wall is as a player. Some of, unfortunately, some of Kevin Porter's Kevin Porter Jr.'s worst games last season, as the Rockets were first kind of getting him indoctrinated into the system and kind of seeing what they had with him after his brief stint with the RGV Vipers to kind of get him up to speed, since he missed the first half of last season. They brought him in and they did try playing Kevin Porter Jr. and John Wall alongside each other. But John Wall is such a high usage guy who needs and wants the ball in his hands when he's on the floor. It was preventing Kevin Porter Jr. from having the ball in his hands for them to be able to really see and collect enough data points on whether or not he can be like the point guard of the future for this Houston Rockets team. So I would absolutely argue that maybe, maybe you get John Wall to buy into a slightly reduced role Sure, but that's a pretty big maybe for an organization that really truly views and believes that Kevin Porter Jr. can be the point guard of the future for this team.
1: Uh, well, I'd say a couple of things. One, I mean, like if you're going to be the point guard of this team, of a team that's going to win, you do have to be able to adjust to playing with a whole bunch of different players when you get into winning situations. I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, on a winning in a winning situation would not be the only – High usage rate player on that team. I mean, Kevin Durant, not a bad example because they're a great players, but Kevin Durant thrived with Russell Westbrook for many years over the time. I mean, pl- players adjust to playing with uh, other high usage rate players. And look, if John Wall didn't accept the role that Steven Silas and Raphael Stone gave him, that's a different conversation. Like, if he came back and, you know, was being a bad teammate and was grumbling about what role he was playing, well, then you can. You have other options. Then you can suspend him. Then you could bench him. But to just kind of put him on the sidelines for the sake of you know, Kevin Porter Jr. playing, let's not act like Kevin Porter Jr. has played in every game. Like, you know, there have been times that you know John Wall probably would have been valuable for this team to have him healthy and ready to play. And if not valuable, at least you can't argue that he in games that their backcourt's been banged up and guys have been out, he would have given the team a better chance to win. And him not being available took that piece off the table. That's my big issue. Like just letting him languish on the sidelines, not really in game shape, having not played in games in God knows how many months. um, I just think that part of it is wrong.
0: And, you know, we had the agreement before the season, John Wall, Rafael Stone addressing the media saying, yeah, we're in agreement here. And then as you alluded to, there was the the report that came out that John Wall did want to come back to play. And we haven't heard anything since then. You know, that just at this point, it just seems like it was Rich Paul and Clutch Sports just trying to stir up a little bit of something, a little bit of buzz around the John Wall situation. But ultimately, I John Wall would be playing at this very moment if he were willing to come in and accept a reduced role with this Rockets team. Do you not agree? If he were willing to come off the bench and play the 12 to 15 minutes a night, the DJ Augustine spot minutes, a reserved role, as you've highlighted already, he would absolutely be playing. The reason he's not is because he wants to come back and he wants to be in a starting role. He wants to be a focal point. He wants to be able to...
1: Well, hold on. That's not like that's, that. I, like, well... Does he want that? I'm sure everything I've been told is that the message wall has conveyed is that I want to play the minutes I'm earning, right? So if he's out there and he's playing at a high level and last year was definitely a mixed bag for John wall. I mean, coming off that injury, you know, statistically those numbers were there, but the usage rate was really high. The shooting percentage, it may never be good for him. Um, but John Wall's biggest sticking point is, look, if I'm on a hot streak and I'm, yeah, I'm I'm, scoring well, playing well, I want the opportunity to earn my role in the rotation. I don't think he wants to be benched arbitrarily because it's time to throw this guy into the fire. And I think that's a fair argument. I mean, the NBA should be a meritocracy. And I don't I honestly don't believe that. And Kevin Blair Jr. and Jalen Green's like their development would be stunted if a better playing John Wall is getting a few more minutes per game more than them this season. Like that argument to me, Jax, is just is ludicrous. Like I keep using that word ludicrous, like, it just does it does strike me. Like these guys need to just be force-fed minutes when they're playing like crap. Like, or if they're playing like crap, I, I don't buy that at all. I think if John John Wall wants to if John Wall is playing well, he wanted to be out there and, and and be able to play minutes that he feels like he's earned. That, that's where I think he and the Rockets have reached an impasse.
0: And as far as, you know, earning those minutes, it, it is unfortunate, right, that if he agreed to the situation at hand, primarily, you know, before the season started with Rafael Stone, he agreed to not to not playing, right, to sitting out. And well, you know, I, I think, too, so. I think,
1: you know, one thing I think is that, you know, I do think that they – John Wall's team might have misread the market a little bit. I I think they thought last year, the way he played showed he was healthy at the very least. Um, Not the same all-star player we used to see in Washington, but showed he was a healthy guy. I think they believed there would be a market for him, uh, whether it was Miami or somewhere else, like that somebody would, would make a play for him um, at this point. And, and as you know, the there have been no talks about John Wall. There's really no interest whatsoever in John Wall. So there, I think there's a mistake. I mean, where John Wall should have just said, effectively kick rocks, like I'm not going to sit out. I mean, John's played what, I think 113 games over the last four-ish years or whatever it is. Like he should not be voluntarily sitting on the sidelines. So I think they believe that there would be a trade that would materialize um, at least before February. And to my knowledge, there's nothing out there available.
0: Yeah. And so you can go back to that decision at the start of the season and whether that's the fault of of him personally, his camp, whoever it may be, that decision was made. And so then that was an impasse in the road that they, that they, you know, got past and they decided, okay, we're going to allocate these minutes to Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green moving forward. And ultimately, I think that when you look at the situation, that contract that John Wall is on, that contract does not guarantee him minutes that doesn't guarantee him a spot in the rotation. And I think he kind of forfeited that opportunity to potentially fight for a spot in the rotation by agreeing at the offset of the season. Hey, fine. I'll sit out. You guys want me to sit out? We want to find a trade partner. We're going to do all that. But now midway through the season, the Rockets are firmly well into the into their developmental plan with Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, guys like that. They're clearly rebuilding, clearly trying to focus on the development of the young guys, and now John Wall suddenly wants back in? That doesn't
1: sit right with me. I, I don't dispute that part. I think we can agree that the decision to voluntarily sit out from John Wall's part made no sense. Um, I don't know every detail about why he decided to do that, but that was a mistake. All that being said, like – Look, stranger things have happened, I guess, but I don't see a trade partner emerging for John Wall during the duration of this contract. I just don't. I mean, maybe, just maybe next summer, somebody goes crazy and says, look, I want more than anything. I want that money that's going to come off the books for John Wall in 2023. So I'll trade you this kind of poo-poo platter of players to to get John Wall off your I, I just don't see that happening. So in that situation, I would just cut him. You know, you're, you're going to wind up eating. I mean, I don't know how, what kind of buyout you can negotiate with him. And, and every time you hear about John Wall won't take a nickel less, all, everything's negotiable in these types of situations. But if you're the Rockets, I don't know why you just don't move on from I, I don't see a trade happening before the trade deadline at some point next summer. Again, I could be wrong, but that contract, this player, the the landscape in the NBA, I, I just, I mean, he was, tra- he was only traded the first time because the Rockets had an equally distressed asset to give Washington to go and get him. I just don't see, I mean, I guess, unless you want to do Russell Westbrook 2.0, I like, I don't see that, that situation unfolding again. So, I mean, to solve the problem, I would just sit in the room and figure out a way to save a couple of bucks with John wall and walk away from his contract.
0: Yeah, and I I think that, again, this comes back to, right, is John Wall willing to negotiate a buyout? Because if he were willing to give up X amount of money right now today, I'm sure that the Rockets would absolutely pick up the phone and listen and that he and Rafael Stone could, you know, lock themselves in a room and, and negotiate it with his agent, whoever else, right, and figure out a solution to this current dilemma. But I think something that is worth noting, Chris, here is that John Wall has been engaged, right? He's been on the sidelines. He's been coaching up the Rockets' young players. He's been in the ears of Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green at practice. They talk constantly about how impactful he has been to their development. And so it's not like John Wall has just been given his payday and said, all right, go, you know, hang out in the corner of Toyota Center. We don't want to see you. He's very much been involved with the team. He's been impactful. He's been, you know, embracing a veteran leadership role. The only thing he's not doing is playing in these games. And again, that was something that he agreed to.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right, but that's kind of like, Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? Like, he's not playing in games. Like, he's not actually out there on the floor um, contributing or trying to contribute to this team. And I go back to something I said earlier about John Wall not being active. Like, in in a best-case scenario, you've got Porter, uh, you've got Green, you've got Josh Christopher, uh, active and healthy able to play 30-ish minutes every single night. But you and I both know that's not how the NBA works. And it certainly doesn't work now during the time of, of you know, constant guys winding up and health and safety protocols. Hell, then that just brought Kyrie Irving back in part for that reason to have a healthy body there. I mean, I just feel like you've part got Part-time Kyrie player. Irving at that, so. Part-time, well, that's a different conversation altogether. But there's, <laughs> I mean, you know, when when all this started to unfold, I started to think, like, maybe this is a reason for the Rockets to bring back John Wall. But you know, again, John Wall, in my mind, has the potential to impact winning. I just don't seem to think the Rockets want anything to do with that this season. Like, and look, it's a strategy. You're you you you're developing young players. You're going to wind up with whoever it is, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, whoever that may be at the top of the draft. Um, I get that much. But, like, not bringing John Wall back during all these turbulent times when guys are rolling in and out of the lineups and you're starting – at times g or how Gerald Green just like reactivated himself and sent himself down to the G-League. I mean, like this, I just feel like this would have been an opportune moment to bring John Wall back into the mix, but it's not happening. And it's one of the more, you know, as we sit here and talk about it, I mean, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about that a little bit over the last a few weeks since I wrote that story, uh, what is it, a month and a half ago, two months ago now. But like, it still is kind of vexing that you've got a healthy body there in a league that where healthy bodies are at a premium at the moment. And He's just sitting there, not active.
0: My one count, my counter to the idea that the Rockets are sitting John Wall to intentionally tank, because I I absolutely do not believe for one second that that's the, that that's the modus operandi behind what the front office is doing. Um, It it truly, to me, is because of the development of the young guys that they have on the roster and because they wanted to place a priority on their backcourt of the future of Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green. Uh, Steven Silas, much to the chagrin of Rockets fans everywhere, has actually made some you know choices throughout the season in in moments to you know go with veterans in big moments trying to win games so it's not like they're absolutely out there right if they wanted to intentionally tank right they would be they wouldn't be running daniel tice any run right they'd be they'd be letting albrinchangoon get 30 plus minutes a night they'd be starting Alper and Shingun over you know Daniel Tice for the first 17 or so games of the season this wasn't a team that out of the gate was like you know what we're coming out here and we're just going to try and bottom out and aim for a top three pick things didn't work out with the Daniel Tice Christian Wood pairing in the front court and it probably took a little bit longer for them to realize than they should have to to, you know 86 that pairing but this team isn't walking out there intentionally trying to lose games this is not the process era Sixers at all.
1: It, it's not. I mean, they couldn't be the the process. Sixers. I mean, had talent yeah, was, on paper. Uh, they had talent on paper, but none of those guys were on the floor, um, especially in those first few years. I, I do think the Rockets believed internally that they were going to be a lot better this year. Like they, I, I don't think they thought they'd be a playoff team this year. But I th- didn't think they believed they'd be what as we talk currently, worst record of the Western Conference, third or fourth worst in the NBA. I thought they. I thought they believed they'd be a lot better. And when it comes to guys like Steven Silas, I mean I'm seeing it a lot in Boston with Ime Yudoka. Young coaches kind of reflexively go to veterans in key situations. They, you know, they know like you know, in their minds, they probably know it's, you know, we got to develop these young guys. But when you've got a Daniel Tyson on the bench, when you've got some veterans that you can go to, um, they're going to to lean on guys like that in, in clutch situations because they believe that gives them the best chance to win. But look, the season is is an evolving thing, right? Like what the Rockets thought they were Back in October, early November, is not what they are right now. And you've had—it's been what almost half a season officially at this point. We're right there at that that midway point of of 41 games or close to it. Like I think you know what Kevin Porter Jr. is. I don't believe that you're going to hurt him. Like if if you're keeping him around, I don't think you're gonna hurt him by bringing John Wall back into the mix and trying to win a few more games. That that's where I come down. I'm not saying it's like it's the process Sixers, but. If, if we boil it down, right now in this moment, does John Wall help them win games? I believe the answer is yes. And I think a lot of Rockets fans, maybe it's you too, believe the answer is no. Uh, no,
0: if, if you're if you're asking me right now, if, if John Wall were to be brought back tomorrow, would John Wall help this team be better on the floor? I have no argument there. John Wall absolutely probably would would help this team be a better on-the-court product. But I don't think that helps... Kevin Porter Jr.'s development, and I don't think it helps Jalen Green's develop. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll bet. you think it really. Let me ask this: Yeah,
1: Green Green's different. Yeah, but like, do yeah. you think it really like? I I just don't I don't really get that argument. Like, you know, if you're not that you you gain a ton from like just having a veteran in front of you and 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 watching him kind of do it, but like, I don't I don't believe in the I don't ascribe to the philosophy. That you should just be spoon fed everything, right? Like so. You know, Kevin Porter Jr. has been around the league for a few years now. Like, he had a good run with uh, Houston last season. Like, John Wall is not what John Wall used to be. Uh, you know, it, it, it should be – Kevin Porter Jr. should look at John Wall as, like, in-house competition. Like, I got to beat this guy out for minutes. I think that sharpens you as well. Like, I think that that gives you an edge. You know, being able to beat out the former all-star, the the guy that was one of the top point guards in the league at one time. I, I don't – like, if you don't – like, DJ August is not pushing um, – you know Kevin Porter in the way that John Wall would. I, I think there's, I think there's something to, you know, practice competition and and fighting for minutes and not just being handed opportunities because a team wants to see what you have. I, I think there's a benefit there. Maybe maybe it manifests itself in fewer minutes uh, for a Kevin Porter. But I think if 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 you have to, this guy has to beat out John Wall. I think that benefits him too.
0: I could absolutely subscribe to that notion, you know, for a guy who is being brought in, right? A a rookie trying to earn his stripes, right? Coming in, you know, a a fresh draft pick, that kind of thing. But that's not the situation with Kevin Porter Jr. The Rockets kind of saw the talent there. They understood they're taking a flyer on him based on, you know, what had gone uh, gone on with, with his stint with the Cleveland Cavaliers, getting him for a top, you know, 55 protected second rounder, basically, you know, for nothing. And they knew that he was a reclamation project coming in, but they saw the talent there. And I think that's exactly what they did last season, right? Is they had the half season mark to kind of gauge, okay, what is Kevin Porter Jr.? How do we think we can play him? What do we think we have with this guy? And after looking at what they did last season with him, this offseason, they decided, you know what? We think he's talented enough and capable enough to play the point for this team full-time. So they had already gone through that valuation process of, okay, we, we're not going to force Kevin Porter Jr. to to earn his minutes behind a John Wall. And so I would say yeah, that- but every Everybody should have to earn
1: their minutes. Like... Every player in the league, top players earn their minutes. I mean, unless you're like Giannis or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, you know, it's a meritocracy in the NBA. Nobody's handed any kind of minutes. We see lineups shaking up all the time, especially on teams that are struggling. You know, I mean, like that's not unusual. I mean, I don't feel like just because, he, you know, Kevin Porter went through one year, one plus years now with this team, that all of a sudden he's just earned this starting point guard role just be handed it to him. I mean, that, that that's not how it works with like virtually every other team out there.
0: But again, it, you go back to last season, and they are they already went through the the try you know the attempted effort to see what John Wall and Kevin Porter Jr. on the floor would look like.
1: They got enough. Yeah, was, how many games that was side? that? Like how many like how many games was that in a bizarro season? Like I, I don't. I, I mean, like in John Wall's first season back after missing what like two years. With a leg injury, like, I'd like to give them a full offseason with that team. Maybe that work out, to, I don't know, whatever they were doing in the offseason, what they should have been doing in the offseason, you know, figuring out how to make it work together. I, I That's just, to me, last season, four games in five nights, John Wall's injury, all the new moving pieces, the James Harden crap that went on in Houston uh, last year. I mean, that that to me is not, like, a functional environment to be able to assess what you have with, with that backcourt, including John Wall.
0: Yeah, well and and you know thankfully Kevin Porter Jr wasn't even in Houston at the time of the the whole James Harden situation. We're not even we're not even one full calendar year removed yeah. from that, you know, the situation is crazy and, and James Harden time is a flat circle. Yeah. It really is. Jeremy Barryman, man. Um but uh as far as this season goes, unfortunately uh, you know, the Rockets had the double big lineup to start this season. They were running Daniel Tice, Christian Wood, and that pairing not only dampened those guys' numbers and made the front court look uh, atrocious, unfortunately, it reduced uh, the effectiveness of everybody on the floor. Kevin Porter Jr. struggled. Jalen Green struggled. The Rockets looked really, really bad to start this season. And then they 86 it. They moved away from it. They put Christian Wood back at the five, as they should have done. And suddenly Kevin Porter Jr. looked like a adequate point guard again. In the games since the Rockets got rid of the double big lineup and Kevin Porter Jr. has been back in, he's averaging seven assists a night and only a, a hair over three turnovers a game. That's progress. That's progress that could not be had had John Wall been in the lineup because you're not going to see Kevin Porter Jr. running and orchestrating the offense 30-plus minutes a night. I mean, maybe. Like,
1: if, if he's playing like that, I think a head coach will... Keep him in the game, and if he's not capable of playing like that because there's competition there for him, then maybe he should be playing the game. I, I just I, I can't I can't get on board with with that argument because I'm trying to think of examples right now of, of you know guys you know, kind of hopping over each other in in the current NBA. I mean, there's so many lineup changes in the last month for different reasons, but it you know like young guys when they struggle. Sometimes they get benched and if you're not mentally tough enough to kind of be able to absorb that and learn from it and work on your game and get better, like John Wall is not the John Wall from five years ago. Like if Kevin Porter Jr. Was any, is any good, he should be able to, to pass him in the rotation. And again, he's not playing every game. He's had games where he's been out. Jalen green has been out, you know, the, the backcourt's been in flux at times. Like it has been with every other team in the league, like not having John Wall there, I, it goes it comes back to full circle. Not having John Wall there, I believe, has cost this team wins. Maybe not a lot of wins, but you know, one or two or three wins on the season. That may be nothing but it's the old Herm Edwards line. Like you play to win the games. And not not having John Wall out there playing, I think, has negatively impacted the Rockets' ability to win games so
0: in in this whole thing, we've we've touched on him a couple times here while while debating the John Wall stuff. Why so quick to give up on Kevin Porter, Jr?
1: well, it's it's both it's both Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood at this point because what's well, twofold? One, like what happened other night that's one of the, I mean, I, I haven't really even heard of something like that happening where a guy, I mean you can't use any word other than quit for what happened with Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. Like they effectively quit on their teams, on their team down 22 at halftime against the Nuggets team that while good still, you can come back and beat the Denver Nuggets. And they just decided they weren't going to play. Now we can debate the semantics, how it all happened. You know, what did Steven Silas say to Christian Wood? What did Christian Wood say to Steven Silas, what happened in the locker room between John Lucas and Kevin Porter Jr. I I don't know, but quitting is like the Cardinal sin in the NBA. And, you know, John Lucas, as you well know, like one of the most respected people in the entire NBA, not just for his four decades of service as a player and a coach, but what he's done to help athletes, not just NBA players, but athletes become the best version of themselves. Like his track record is is unbelievable. So if John Lucas is blowing up at you, I'm guessing that's not the first time you've done something that John Lucas has not liked and, 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 as, and to, that would lead him to that point. So that like short term, like quitting, I think that's unacceptable. I don't know how you come back from that. I know they won Kevin Porter Jr. Big shot, great moment, all that. But over the rest of the season, I don't know how you really come back and how you can gain, regain the trust of players in that locker room or what they say publicly. Now, I don't know how you can regain the trust of players that in the locker room. As I was starting to write the story, write the column, like you start to play it out a little bit, right? Like, This all happened this season and what we've seen and what's actually gone on behind the scenes are probably two different things. Like there's probably more to these stories that, that have gone on that have not been revealed uh, publicly. You've got Kevin Porter Jr. Who is extension eligible at the end of the season. We all know that. We just talked about the Rockets giving him opportunities to play to see what they have in him. Is there any scenario I'm asking, like, I'm, you're close to this team. You watch the team closer than I do, but is there any scenario? where the Houston Rockets are gonna offer Kevin Porter Jr. any real money at the end of the season. I can't see it, I, not not after what we've seen happen, after that incident just happened there. You, that's way too big a risk to t- attach yourself to three years, and I don't even know what the number would be for that he'd be looking for. Christian Wood, same thing, one year left in his contract, extension eligible uh, at the end of the season. He's gonna be looking for real money, and I get that if you're Christian Wood, because you know no matter what's been going on this season, A center with his skill set, you know, he can get teams interested. There could be a bidding war. So, but if you're Houston, can you commit franchise money to a player like that? If he's looking for, you know, maybe not max money, but $15, $20 million per season, whatever it may be on, on a long term contract. Let's assume the answer to that question, those questions, is no. Now you're talking about going into next season with another. uh, With Jalen Green in his second year, with Sangoon in his second year, with uh, Jay Shante, and whoever you draft over there. With two guys in a contract year, that's not a good situation. Because if you've got two guys in a contract year that maybe don't look at themselves as being part of what this team is going to do long term, that lends itself to bad situations where you have guys playing for numbers instead of playing for wins. And that to me, as I kind of wrap up this point, like that to me potentially impacts the development of the guys that you know are gonna be around there long-term. But you just talked to me for 20 minutes now about the importance of developing guys, of of, get, of putting these guys in the best possible environment. You're just, I'm sorry, you're not gonna be able to convince me that that Porter Jr. and Wood on contract years next year, um, in that environment, is going to be a good one for green, Sengun, draft pick, uh, take that 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 is almost, to me, it feels like it's almost sabotaging the season before it even starts. So, you know, Christian Wood, there is a market for him. There's a number of teams out there. I listed them in the column I wrote. Charlotte would love to get their hands on him. Uh, you know, you got Portland would love to get their hands on him. The, the Lakers, they want to get their hands on everybody right now, and they would be a, a, a team that would be in the mix. Uh, Porter, not a big number to eat, in part because Cleveland – and I know you know this, but Cleveland gave him like the world's crappiest first round pick contract, the lowest number they could possibly give him to, to you know, in order to draft him in that first round a couple of years ago. So you're not eating a substantial number there. I, I'm just, I'm now sounding like you here. Like I'm, I'm going in this direction where I'm like focusing on the development. I, I just don't see, because of everything that's happened, Porter Jr. and Wood being part of what this team's going to do long term. And if that's the case, I think it should be the case. Um, you've got to lock in on what's going to make Green and, and Company better, and I don't think a contract year situation with Porter and Wood is what makes them better.
0: So uh, definitely a lot to unpack there, and I'll kind of I'll kind of go back to the start where where you talked about John Lucas, right, and that that relationship that he has with Kevin Porter Jr. You know, at the moment this, you know, this incident, this halftime, you know, drama, whatever we want to call it happened, I-, I was immediately thinking, okay, one, this is, you know, very akin to the situation that happened last season that was completely blown out of proportion with Jay Sean Tate throwing a basketball at James Harden. That that made national headlines. It was everywhere. Everybody was freaking out about it. It was just two guys competing in practice. That's that's what it was. And I'm, I'm not like trying to downplay the situation at all for, for Wood or for Kevin Porter Jr., although I do want to focus on KPJ here uh, because I'm on the same boat as you. I, I'd like to see the Rockets trade Christian Wood. That's, that's where we're at there. So I'm not going to focus on Christian Wood. But with Kevin Porter Jr., I'm not trying to downplay the fact that what happened happened. He quit on the team. Right, he left the team, left at halftime. Whatever the whatever the actual specifics of that you know situation are, you know some of the some of the details have come to light about what what actually took place. We're never going to know the exact full story. We're never going to know the specific exchanges that were ha- that happened, who called out who, like all these things. All we know is they went back into the locker room. John Lucas called out Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. Kevin Porter Jr. lost his temper and he left at halftime. Right. This is a guy, Kevin Porter Jr., who struggled with his emotions in the past, who struggled you know, with off-the-court issues before. And it's very possible that in this situation, you know, having been in a situation like this before, having dealt with situations like this before, Kevin Porter Jr. just thought the best thing for him to do would be to remove himself from the situation, right, before further damaging any relationships with his teammates, with, with his coaching staff, what have you. But when it comes to John Lucas and Kevin Porter Jr., John Lucas is like the old school style like enforcer. He treats, he calls out everybody like that. Like that's just who his coaching style is. When I go to Rockets practices at Toyota Center, like John Lucas is out there like cussing, swearing at the players. Like, like he, he's he, that's that's his style, right? He's the bad cop, right? You've got Steven Styles, the good cop, John Lucas, the bad cop. So I, I don't view it as something where, you know, John Lucas was rubbed the wrong way and you know was calling out Kevin Porter Jr. And it was something, you know, a personal indictment of who he is or, or what he was doing. It was John Lucas as the coach wanting to get the best out of Kevin Porter Jr. And they've spoken so highly about each other. John Lucas views Kevin Porter so highly. Kevin Porter Jr. has said that he loves John Lucas, that John Lucas means the world to him, that he has helped really turn his career around. And I don't think that's something you just cast aside. At the first sign of trouble like this. Yes, this is a this is a significant situation and it's a it's a bump in the road and it needs to be addressed. And they did address it and they're addressing it in-house. And you see that the way that Steven Silas is handling this. And I think it's commendable the way that he has responded to this situation because they could have just cast him out. Right? They could have just said, you know what, oh, you quit, okay, what, you, you left at halftime? We're going to cut you, You're, we're going to bench you, we're going to do all that. For somebody who's struggled with his confidence and struggled with trying to find his place in the NBA, what kind of a message would that send to him? But instead, you've got an organization that's going to double down and say, hey, we know you made a mistake, we understand, we want you to learn from this and grow from this and continue on the path that we think you can be on as an NBA player. That's huge to me. Oh okay. And that, well, and that speaks and that speaks volumes about the culture that the Rockets are truly building here in Houston, which was another knock you know saying that the that the the culture in Houston is a problem. And and nobody was talking about Houston's culture before this this one isolated incident. Was, well, I mean
1: a, a little bit, a little bit they were. Like the, the the wall stuff, you know, it got people around the league talking about like what is the mindset here? Like and when you know, the guys that Houston has brought in over the last couple of years from DeMarcus Cousins, if you go back to last year, to, you know, Porter Jr. And yeah, Christian Wood, who had a lot of red flags around him when the Rockets signed him. Like, he was available for that number in part because of some of the off-the-court issues that 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 were not – I do not the off-the-court issues, but, like, attitude issues, I think, were the, were the ways that I would probably best describe it. I, I, I get – you know, look, Lucas – is a fiery guy. But from what I understand, and I've talked to a few people connected to the the situation that happened, that this wasn't that this wasn't Lucas, you know, just kind of yelling at a guy for not getting back on defense at a practice. This was, I I don't know all the specifics, but what happened with that incident, but this was serious in the locker room. And I, I, I strongly disagree with the, I think he said something to the effect of like Porter decided the best thing for him and his teammates was to step away. No, the best thing for you and your teammates is to, you know, knuckle down and go out there and try to help the team win. It's not to not go out and play. Like, I don't I don't get that, that at all. Like, I, you know, if you want to show your teammates that you're engaged, like this whole thing blew up um, in part, according to all the reporting that's been done because there was some people upset. Lucas was upset. Uh, I believe the Athletic also reported like one of the young players was upset at some of the effort that was being given out there. You want to make it up to your teammates do the exact opposite, go out there and get, yeah, I mean, you, I'm sure you, I I wasn't watching that game in real time um, against Denver, but I, I'm sure you could see a pretty lackadaisical effort in that first half from everybody. If you're down 22, that's often uh part of the reason. Uh, don't not play like that. That to me is, is the worst thing you can possibly do. Don't, don't leave the arena. Don't don't whatever, whatever it was that he did. Don't, don't do that. Go out there and play and go out there and help your team win. I mean, Look, we, we keep coming back to like, you know, you, you just we're just talking about how this guy's got to be, you know, this, they want this guy to be the point guard of the future. They want to see what they have in this guy. Can he be a part of this team's core long term? Does that scream to you? He should be. I know you, your point to like one mistake, but it's one mistake that we know of with Houston. It was a whole bunch of mistakes that we know of with Cleveland. We've now got a pretty good pattern here. And again, I, I kind of keep pushing it forward being like, I, I'll ask you this. Like he could he. Like I'm making numbers up at this point, but he goes into the off season, and says, "Look, I want a 36 million over three extension, something like that. That'll be basically a four year deal because it gets tacked on to the next contract. Like, are you giving him that? Like, are you are you tying yourself based on what you've seen in the last season and a half on top of this last incident to Kevin Porter Jr.? I just I, I wouldn't, and and maybe that that's where maybe that's where opinions diverge between me and people uh, like you that cover the Rockets and people that that watch the Rockets, but I, I wouldn't do it. Not not after what I've seen uh, in this incident. No,
0: I, and I I think that in, in this moment, right, Kevin Porter Jr. absolutely probably cost himself some money, right? Whether he cost himself, you know, the opportunity for an extension, whether it's, you know, we, he just cost himself some money off of a potential extension. I absolutely think this incident is, is something to be concerned about and something that is, you know, something you you don't just cast aside. You don't pretend it's nothing, but i also don't think you overreact to the situation i think that's exactly what steven silas vocalized when you know addressing the media and really trying to you know take the situation by the horns and figure out okay what are we doing here love, but Jackson, Is, you
1: know like i would i would say this too like and i don't know what what steven silas really thinks about this i, I whatever coaches say on the record i i they, i very infrequently take as gospel right like you know like what steven silas did was absolutely the right thing like you know, you know, he had to defuse the situation. Um, he had to find a way to to make sure that, um, that he puts this team in the best chance to be able to move forward with this group, knowing probably that the Rockets were not gonna take, you know, the advice of, you know, Sports Illustrated columnist and say, just let let people go. So he did what he had to do. Does that mean that Steven Silas really believes all that? I don't know, I mean, there's been a lot, I mean, you've been around covering these, like there's a lot of times, you know, what coaches say on the record is not what they feel off the record. It's just, it's just kind of the way it goes in the NBA. Like Stephen, who, as I wrote, I am a massive Stephen Salas fan. I think he's one of the best young coaches of the NBA. I really hope he doesn't get scapegoated for the struggles of the last two seasons. Uh, but like any other coach he's doing, I think he's doing what he has to do to get this team, get the ship righted at least temporarily um, to try to move forward past these incidents, does he really believe that you know Kevin Porter Jr. should be kept around? That Wood should be kept around? Those guys. I don't know the answer to that. I, I just I I don't believe what he what a coach says publicly is necessarily what they actually believe.
0: Well, on that front, the organization is absolutely still incredibly you know attached to Kevin Porter Jr. That that much I know for certain. This, they they don't view the situation as some you know gigantic you know red mark. On what has happened? Is it a situation but where, where, they where have were you to have on? To have like, but,
1: but where were you? Let me ask you this where were you on? Like, this is a, a sort of a separate topic, but like, what is Steven Silas doing out there just taking these hand grenades for this team? Like, how many bullets does Steven Silas have to take for situations that were really not of his making? Like, I think Raphael Stone is is a very smart basketball guy. The Sangoon pick was excellent. You got to hit on those picks to to be a successful team in the NBA. But why is Steven Silas sitting up there by himself in these situations? I'm not saying that Stone should have done it alone. I think the coach has to be involved because the coach has to show the locker room that he's the one in charge in these situations. But the second that happened in Denver or in in Houston against Denver, uh, knowing there would be suspensions coming, if I was Raphael Stone, I would have been on that team playing. I'm not sure was he out scouting. I would have been on my way to Philadelphia to sit side by side with Steven Silas to Uh, address this as a united front. I I just, I can't get over the fact that, you know, and again, I wrote this, you know, whether it's James Harden, things devolving, here's Steven Silas. The John Wall thing kind of blows up, here's Steven Silas. All this happens last week, here's Steven Silas. It is the general, and I know other executives that I've talked to about this, who I ran this by, agree with me, is the general manager's responsibility to take these hits with your head coach when something like this blows up. I, I don't know why Steven is out there doing it all by himself.
0: You know that that's a solid question. You know where where is Rafael Stone and all this, but I think it, it it also shows that Rafael Stone trusts Stephen Silas to handle the situation accordingly. Is that not? Yeah, but that's uh, not. You know, that's is not is that really. not your no, general man? Like is not, that no? Is no, that no, not, no. is that not your general manager empowering your head coach to no, no, make not, it not, to have him no. be the leader of the locker room? That's not. No, that's not a way to look no, at no, the situation. I
1: don't. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive, right? I don't think that. I don't think it. That's the word. Depower. Maybe the wrong word there. I don't think it, it unempowers Stephen Silas if Raphael Stone is sitting alongside him answering questions in situations like this. I mean, you know, some general managers are more accessible than others. I understand that, but you know, if they're, I mean, how many times, like, I, I, like I use for example, like, I think like in golden state, you know, Bob Myers, when something pops up, he's the one often addressing the media is like Bob Myers undercutting Steve Kerr in situations like that. Like, I don't think so. Um, I I just feel like you've got to be, it's part of your job to be there out in front, not alone. Like, if, I agree with you. Like, if he's up there by himself and Steven Salas in the locker room, Redfield Stone's announcing suspensions and taking questions alone, that's not good. Like, that does – but, if you, you know, sitting side by side with your head coach, I, I think that is is part of your responsibilities as a general manager.
0: At the same time, I think you can very clearly just look at it and say this Rockets organization, well, it's a situation that they're handling and that they're going to work past with Kevin Porter Jr. And with Christian Wood for the time being, you know, as as long as he remains a member of the Houston Rockets, they didn't view it as a situation that warranted having the general manager be propped up next to the head coach to address the situation. Right. They viewed it as what it was. Kevin Porter Jr. lost his temper. A situation occurred, and then they handled it right. And they came back out. And I think that's that's something that is so clearly evident. Is you know you you've mentioned like the trust factor, right, between these teammates, and how can they how can they trust going forward? You know, Christian Wood and and, and Kevin Porter Jr. and how can that locker room actually you know gel and, and be okay? These guys fight and play hard for each other. They they this locker room is incredibly close, even through the 15 game losing streak. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking just play like player, you know, post game interviews, right? The, the fluff for the media, right? I'm talking like walking around like Toyota center. You see these players interacting with each other. They're, they're chopping up on social. These guys like each other. Like they are a close knit group of guys. And I don't think this situation is going to derail that. And you can see just how close they are. By I mean, it was it was almost like a story, not a storybook ending, but for Kevin Porter Jr. to come back in his first game back after this suspension, after this, this whole situation, to be able to come back and have that opportunity to be trusted by head coach Steven Silas with the ball in his hands, final play of the game, game is on the line, to make the right decision to then be given the opportunity to hit the game winner and to make it and to then be mobbed by his team and by Silas and John Lucas at midcourt after that game winner, it was huge. And to have that moment, to be able to look back on that and have that, that confidence that, hey, look, Steven Silas can now say to him, look, I trusted you in this moment, right? We had this thing happen. You came back. You apologized. We're good. We're square. The locker room is whole. And I'm going to trust you to go out there and do your job. That's huge for, the, for Kevin Porter Jr.'s development.
1: Okay. Like, all right. I <laughs> think, okay, great moment. No question for Kevin Porter Jr. And believe me, I heard from every Rockets fan on social media after that. I saw it all coming through there after that, that shot. It's one game. It's against Washington. All right. If this team rattles off, I here, I'll promise you this, like on the record, if this team rattles off like six out of 10, seven out of 10 of the next 10 games, I will write a whole separate story on that specifically, like banding back together, that storyline entirely. I can't, I'm just not gonna like, all right, if there are two ends of the spectrum then, right? If you're telling me if you're telling me not to believe that two players quitting on the team against Denver is evidence of what this team really is and how they really feel about each other, because if you look just at that game, your argument that they fight for each other doesn't hold up. It, they didn't fight for each other in that game. They quite literally quit. Two of them quit on the team in that game. Similarly, and I'll, I'm not saying that's, it shouldn't just be on one game, but the same thing with Washington. like tremendous moment, like amazing, like, you know, great shot. you, you feel good for Kevin Porter Jr. To come back and do something like that, but you got to start seeing, you got, you know, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough times ahead. Like this team's not all of a sudden going to turn back to being the team we saw during that seven game stretch or whatever it was in November, December, like there's, there's a rocky road ahead of them, how they band together and stick together. uh, If they're able to do that, that to me will be revealing. So I, I, I love the moment, but I'm, going to need to see a little bit more evidence before I'm on board with this team now with, oh, you know, kind of that Lego movie, everything is awesome theme being played in the locker room.
0: No, and I think that if you if you do look at this moment from this situation, if you kind of do read between the lines a little bit for how the Rockets have handled this and how they've addressed it, one, one of the very first things that Steven Silas said is that the situations with Christian Wood and Kevin Porter Jr. are two very different situations and they're kind of being lumped together because they happened during the same game. And I think if you're looking for a catalyst for what took place during this game, I think you have to point the finger at Christian Wood. And I think that if, if I'm being completely honest here, right, that is probably the, the the guy in the locker room that has been kind of out for himself a little bit this season at times freezes other guys out of the offense. Right. So as a whole, I don't think that this, I don't think that Kevin Porter jr. Is inherently going to be a negative or detrimental to the future of the guys that you pointed out earlier, right? Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, Josh Christopher. In this moment, the context behind what happened in that Denver Nuggets game, right? Christian Wood broke a team rule, quote unquote. So he was benched to start the game. So he comes in, he checks in, you know, into the first quarter, whatever, three, four minutes left and comes in and he gives a very lackadaisical effort about, You know, uh, playing the game goes oh four, you know, it plays eight minutes, isn't really trying super hard. That I believe was more so the catalyst. And then obviously the Nuggets reeling off a bunch of points in a row and really taking control of the game. The Rockets start off that game playing hot. They looked great. They were up, you know, at one point, 28 16, 28 18 on the Nuggets. First quarter looking really, really good. Bench unit came in alongside Christian Wood and Christian Wood kind of mailed it in a little bit. And so I think you can very easily kind of extrapolate and say, okay, that's very much exactly why there were frustrations at halftime is because this team came out of the gate looking really good. Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green were putting on a show in the first quarter. Christian Wood comes in and mails it in. And then they go back at halftime and they're da- you know, they're trailing double-digit lead at halftime. W- what's happening? Who's getting called out? A young player calls out Christian Wood. We don't know who it was. Maybe it was Jay Sean Tate. Maybe it was Josh Christopher. Who knows, right? But that's the issue there, and so I think that you can very much look at the situation and think that it was the team frustrated with Kevin or frustrated with Christian Woods' effort, and the coaches were calling not only him out but also the responsive effort from KPJ from the rest of the team as well, because everybody got called out. It was those two names in particular, though, that made made headlines. The team's response to how the Denver Nuggets reeled off that lead, and so now it you know it's become this big story, but internally. You know, this is something, right? Disagreements happen. And yes, this one escalated to a point that it made, you know, national headlines. But at least internally, the Rockets viewed as something
1: that can be worked past. It escalated, I mean, again, to be blunt, because two guys quit. Like, that's why I didn't look, fights happen in the locker room constantly. I mean, I spent eight years as a kid, as working as a ball boy back in Boston for the Celtics. Like, I saw fights. Like, I saw some Knockdown dragouts in both the home and visiting locker room. I, I have no problem with guys kind of throwing down with each other. Like the, you know, heat a battle, eighty-two game season. I get that. My problem is quitting. Like you get into a fight with a guy in your locker room at halftime, you better get your ass back out there and play hard in the second half. The two guys that okay. didn't play, that didn't go back out there. That again, it's kind of why I said right at the top. That is kind of like the cardinal sin in the NBA. And I'll, I'll put. I want to ask you this, like. I, how I kind of frame this, how I said this to you earlier, like if you're not going to pay Kevin Porter Jr. this often, we'll keep the focus on him. That's fine. I think we do agree on Christian Wood, and like um, find a way to to get something in return for him before uh, the trade deadline. Um, if if he goes in the next season without a contract, do you feel comfortable with that? Would you be fine with last year of his deal, Kevin Porter Jr. on a young team um, that's trying to grow together? Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. At this at this point, if they, it, again, one isolated incident that we know of and past that, you can look at the growth that he's had since joining the Houston Rockets. He was leading scrimmages this offseason, voluntary, come in, you know, all offseason, leading guys, Armani Brooks, the other young guys that the Rockets were cultivating, really trying to, you know, build something here in Houston. He was just at Toyota Center, just getting shots up, working out trying to really take this, you know, even though he, even though he himself, right. He, he hasn't even logged two full seasons of calendar games, right. He's still, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's like in his sophomore season as far as actual games played. So I think that's a big part is Kevin Porter Jr. Is still trying to figure out who he is as an NBA player. And he walks into the Rockets organization. They embrace him open arms. We understand you come with a troubled past. We're going to try and help you work past that. I don't have an issue with Kevin Porter Jr. going into a contract year next season, right? It, he may have cost himself that extension, right? That's exactly what this year was for, is for the Rockets to figure out what they had with Kevin Porter Jr. before they committed serious money to him. And this situation may have cost him that. And if that's the case, then it's something that he can look at and say, you know what, this did cost me potentially, you know, some money down the line, but this organization hasn't given up on me. And if anything, that gives him an opportunity to double down to prove to, to, prove to the haters, to the people that don't believe that he can succeed. Right, or that, that believe that he should be cut, waived, whatever, and just the Rockets should have given up on him. Right, is that he is deserving of this roster spot, that he is capable of being the point guard of the future for this Rockets team. And so they have the rest of the season to navigate that. And maybe they make a pivot this offseason, but ultimately, they're gonna, they're not gonna abandon this, you know, uh, experiment just because of this one isolated incident. And unfortunately, well, I mean, that,
1: that's where that's, I mean, look, if, if it is one isolated incident, Okay. I don't know if it is or it isn't. I mean, I know that's the one that went public for reasons that we saw because the guys aren't there on the bench and that's how people kind of start sniffing around stories. And that's how stuff um, starts to, to ultimately uh, get out. So like I, I, Kevin Porter Jr. though, you know, look, Cleveland, a young developing team, like a bunch of guys, their team is all in like their twenties. They just walked away. Like they said, uh, we're, We're not gonna they had a guy under a very manageable contract and they just walked away from Kevin Porter Jr. So I don't think you can you can kind of just say, look, it's just one time, it's one incident. Not not with it's a totality of things that he's kind of brought to the table that already made one organization just wash their hands of him and another one is now dealing with it. Like his talent, I'm not here to argue his talent, his talent's undeniable. The guy is really good. He's a really freaking good basketball player who has shown it time and again, but that's only like 50% of the battle at success in the nba so maybe maybe the rockets have seen enough over the last season and a half to feel like look we're getting to him we're seeing noted improvements we're seeing growth on a personal and professional level we believe that in the next year and a half when we have him under contract we're going to get him to a place that um is going to make the team is going to make him fit into the team long term and it just feels like a roll of the dice to me next year next year when you're locked in on the young guys that are going to be part of your team long corner. Like the cupboard, cupboard is not bare in Houston. I wrote this. The cupboard is is not robust and overflowing, but you know, I think Green has franchise player potential. Like I've always believed in him. I was writing about him before the draft, months before the draft, about how good that guy can potentially be. Sangoon, I mean, smart GMs walked away from that draft pick. You know, Boston did. Sam Presti walked away from that draft pick. Like that's a, you know, that was a, a well-identified draft pick tate's got some pj tucker a little bit to him I mean, if you rockets wind up in the top three from what i read and i'm kind of a prisoner of what i read about the draft like those guys are really good like that i just i don't know how comfortable i'd be you know this is where i don't think we're ever going to agree on this part of it but like this i don't know how comfortable i'd be you know bringing a contract year guy into that mix when i'm trying to you know build a foundation for something that can last for the next four or five years
0: yeah. And I, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that one of the things that is so important to, to take away from conversations like these is you and I don't have to walk away from here agreeing on a topic, Like you know, I don't have to try to bend you to my will. You don't have to try to bend me to yours, but it's an opportunity for us to debate this and, you know, kind of see each other's point of view. And so I do appreciate that, Chris. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that this organization, you know, it, it's not to me, it's not like it's not even like sunk cost fallacy or something where they're just like, oh, we've invested so much in him, we can't give up now. It's they've seen the flashes, they've seen the talent, it's there and they're confident, like you said, right, that they've seen enough growth on a on a professional and personal level that they're confident to continue moving forward with Kevin Porter Jr. And look, at the end of the day, if something else happens, if another if there's another situation like this, if the red flags begin to mount with KPJ. And guess what? That option's still always on the table to wave him, to cut him, to do whatever. But I was optimistic after this, that it was going to be something that was completely blown out of proportion. That's the impression that I've continued to receive from the organization, from people close to the team. And the fact that they are still very much bought in on what Kevin Porter jr. Brings to the table and very high on his future with this organization. But Chris, before I get you out of here, I gotta ask you one question. I know we've been going back and forth on John Wall and now Kevin Porter, Jr. so i'm gonna we're gonna end on on a less uh, combative note. How's that? Um Eric Gordon, he's been playing out of his mind this season. You know, he's having a career year shooting a career best from from three this season. you have any idea? Where would you like to see him see him wind up? Is there a chance that we could see him on the
1: Celtics, do you think? Oh God, don't don't get me. No the Celtics, I don't know what they're going to do. Like they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> people say like, vast like write more about the South. I'm on TV in Boston, like, you know, three times a week, just clobbering these guys. And like, I can't, I can't get like that. Knicks game on Thursday night was, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of rock bottoms. That was, that was probably it. I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like, and i like, most people in my position, I'm kind of into this right now, trying to assess trade markets, trade values, things like that. Usually you're, you're getting a sense of the the field for players like Eric Gordon and players like Jeremy Grant and players and Ben Simmons, is a bad example, but he's another one that's going to be out there, but teams over the last like few weeks, every time I talk to uh, someone in somebody's front office, it's kind of like, yeah, well, we're going to get there. But like right now we're signing, you know, we're debating Michael Beasley in our front office. Like we're trying to figure out like how we get eight guys in uniform. So, I can't say I I know a specific candidate, Eric Gordon, but in a broader sense, guys that shoot the basketball are incredibly valuable. Like regardless of contract terms, they are highly sought after and Eric Gordon can still shoot it. So uh, there'll be a market for him if the Rockets are, are looking to move off him and, and get something back in return. Um, I'm just, at this point, I'm not entirely sure based on, the triage that's going on in the nba right now exactly what that market's going to look like uh, before february 10th
0: chris it's been a pleasure to have you on the show man i really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to sit here and go over the the john wall the kevin porter jr
1: stuff uh, thanks for stopping by man i'll tell you this much too if like if if what you're talking about comes to fruition if that was a turning point if if you know look nobody i don't nobody sits up and is like boy i want to just sit there and tattoo the rockets or you know go after somebody else I will be on, I promise you right now, if this team turns it around and goes on the street, I'll be on the first flight down to Houston. I'll be down there writing about the turnaround of, of these guys and how these guys got it right and how it was smart to leave John Wall in I just don't see that right now. I, I see things from a different perspective. But if things start to pick up and things go their way, I promise you, I'll be, I forget what, what Marriott I stay at down there in Houston, but I'll be at one of those Houston Marriott's and I'll be at the Toyota Center covering that team.
0: All right, Chris, I appreciate it. I'm going to hold you to that, man. You have a good one, okay? You got it, Jack. That's going to do it for another episode of Locked on Rockets, a bonus episode of Locked on Rockets. No ads, no cutaway, no nothing. As always, appreciate you checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, check out the show on YouTube. Search Locked on Rockets. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. As always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.